everyone, this is Brie Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. Today, I have the enormous privilege to be speaking with Irena McCauley whose auntie is famous civil rights pioneer Rosa Parks, and Irena herself has become an activist public speaker and is currently authoring a children's storybook. Hi, Irena. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I'm so excited. I was so excited to read your article on Twitter, and it's just wonderful to hear a little bit about your background. What an amazing life and what an amazing aunt and role model you're you had growing up? Um, yes. And, you know, I'm very blessed um, to be related to someone who was such a, a icon um, and someone who proactively made a huge, a huge change in history um, and contributed great things to her community. Yeah. Um, so Auntie Rosa was always someone who was always working on something, always helping somebody, always finding things uh, to make things better. Yeah. And I think that was something that was instilled in her when she was young. Um, but because of my experiences and time with her, it kind of has molded me into a person that wanted to continue telling her story. I think somewhere along the way, her story might've got a little distorted. Um, it gets in a, in a category of, you know, she was just a quiet little meek woman who's old that just want to get up and, and I feel like, gosh, I, you know, of course, you're not going to know this because you're not a family member. Um, but Auntie Rosa was so much more than that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm actually blessed that I have that time with her. And uh, I asked a lot of questions about her life. Yeah. And so very informative, um, very inspiring. Um, just her even telling me her experience uh, getting registered to vote as a, a, a black woman at that time. Uh, how she had to keep going back and retaking that test. And they kept denying her, kept denying her. And mm -hmm. it took her several times. And the fact that she and others worked so hard for us to have these amenities, as soon as I turned 18, all I had to do was sign a card to register to vote. And that's right. all I had to do. Right. So it's like things like that, that because she told me those stories, it just inspired me to even tell people the importance of voting, yeah. the importance of getting out and getting involved in your community. Mm -hmm. The importance of inspiring people out here. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing um, when I go and talk to people how inspired they are by her story. It really is. It's emotional. It, uh, it, it re reinforces this passion I have about telling her story. It yeah. pushes me to go further and keep telling people it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And so do you speak all over the country sharing this message? I have had some... Um, engagements uh across the country and uh it slowly started off as me just going to schools and i had just decided um earlier uh last year that i would try to get people to understand and get to know me and that i am a family member and we do exist she does have a family right um <laughs> you know because people don't know that we exist and we, we are here we are yeah. people who definitely were heavily involved in her life and it, it's like people don't understand that she was a human being 
Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, she was just our aunt. So it's like you see her on this pedestal, but she was a very relatable, touchable person. I mean, because at the end of the day, she was just our aunt. Yeah. So because of that, I decided that I was going to start moving more into companies and organizations, universities. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing. In the midst of that, I decided to write an inspirational children's book. Because I spent a lot of time with Auntie Rosen when I was a small child. Mm-hmm. And um, those are those were uh, platforms or basically a formula with her and the upbringing of my mother and my grandmother. Um, these three women molded me um, with who I am today. Uh, definitely a lot of life life lessons. Definitely a lot of encouragement. Um, definitely a lot of pushing to be better out mm-hmm. here. So with the influence of those three people. Um, I decided, well, I'm going to go out here and tell people more her story. Because even me just randomly telling people, you know, that Auntie Rose was activist her whole life. They're like, what? Like adults. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't really know that because a lot of times it's not really talked about in depth um, in school, her real life. They kind of like leave a lot out. They just say, oh, she was tired. She was seamstress and she sat on a bus. That's it. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, Auntie Rose had been busy her whole life. Yeah. <laughs> She'd been busy. So tell us, can you give us some more details on the fullness of her life and the things that came before? Um, well, um, when Auntie Rosa was a small child, um, she had ended up moving with my grandfather, because I'm technically a great niece. I am still her niece, but I'm a great niece. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather was her brother. Yeah. And her mother took her and her brother to uh, live with her grandparents. Mm-hmm. And so she had this influence of her grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from an early age, he talked to her about some very um, powerful, resistant people who decided to do change in America at that time. And this was at a time where uh, the Ku Klux Klan was very active and mm-hmm. they would go and you know, kill you in the middle of the night. And so Auntie Rosie, as like a lot of people at that time, just sleep in their clothes. Right. So you never know when they would come up and try to kill you. So her grandfather would sit up at night with a rifle and Auntie Rosa would sit up at night with him and keep him company. Terrifying. Yes, terrified. But in the same time, he would start telling her stories. And so it motivated her with the help of her grandmother and her mother to start reading some stuff. So Auntie Rose always was a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she took that information and it kind of just added a, or lit a fire in her because her whole, I guess at that time it was starting where she's starting to question stuff. Yeah. And she would have conversations with people and they would say, are you crazy? Why do you want to change things? Yeah. I mean, she'd be like, don't you feel like this is wrong? Like we're being treated less than. So she yeah. felt that as a young girl. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of like led a foundation for her to do more of the work as far as using these people, um, people like Harriet Tubman and Christmas Addis and, uh, you know, uh, people like that who were uh, Marcus Garvey, mm-hmm. who were part of, you know, influential people at that time that were saying, you know, we need to work at, at making change. Okay. Yes. So then Auntie Rose uh, you know, has some difficulties getting an education. 
but she was able to finish her high school diploma. And at that time, uh, Blacks weren't allowed to go to school past the sixth grade. So her mother had put her in these different schools and she was able to go all the way up to the ninth grade. And then from there, she ended up dropping out because her grandfather had some health issues. And then after that, her grandmother got sick. So she dropped out to help pay for food and yeah. and, and bills, you know, because my grandfather was younger. So okay. she was the older child. And so um, from there, later she meets Raymond Parks. So she says Raymond Parks was a man who was very, uh, very into change as well. Mm-hmm. He was someone who was working on a, a Scottsboro's case. That was a famous case of these boys being, um, they were wrongfully being accused of, of attacking a, a white woman. Uh-huh. And so she was saying that he was one of the first people who felt the same way that she did, that they want to change. Right. And that, you know, a lot of times people were telling her like, you're crazy for trying to change things and just be quiet. Uh, so when they got married, um, and Auntie Rosa married him in 19, he encouraged her to go back, back and get her high school diploma. And so she did. So Auntie Rosa got her high school diploma at about the age 21. So that was unheard of. Wow. Wow. You know, you don't get education deep south. So, uh, so from there, you know, helping him with the Scottsboro case and then getting introduced to people who work for the NWCB, she ended up taking on the role of the recording secretary. Uh-huh. And I believe she joined the NWCP around 1942, 19, something around that, because she had been proactive with the NWCP for almost 15 years before she got arrested the first time. Wow. After Rosa got arrested several times. So, uh-huh. so she was the woman who uh, the NWCB would get a call and say, you know, my uncle got beat up or someone got, uh, you know, thrown into a ditch and she would travel out to their home and she would write down their story for the NWCP. Wow. So Auntie Rosa heard all types of things. She and must have. And this is when Oprah comes in and talks about the story of Racy Taylor because Auntie Rosa worked very due diligent on a lot of rape cases of women at that time. Yeah. And people don't know about that because, you know, at the end of the day, too, Auntie Rosa never talked to us about that. She just didn't. I asked other family members. She just never did. And so something I found out about her after she passed and all this information is online, um, uh, personal journals, personal letters, thoughts, um, notes that she had from presentations and appearances she had. Mm -hmm. And she she wrote a note about her feeling of having a burden. Uh-huh. Of never telling people the details of these stories because she didn't want people to become bitter. Uh-huh. She didn't want people to become sorry, feel sorry for her because right. she had, you know, recorded these messages. Uh-huh. So she never discussed them with anyone. She just never did. But Auntie Rosa was due diligent for getting justice for a lot of these people. She worked very hard to do that. Right. You know. Yeah. So from there, you know. Um, so at this point, again, there's these integral parts of her life that led up to her getting arrested on the, on the bus on December 1st, 1955. Yeah. So this laid a platform for her. And I think at the end of the day, what she did was very courageous. Incredible. And, uh, incredibly courageous. And, yeah. um, you know, that famous picture of her getting fingerprinted, that's not from 1955. That's from another time. They arrested her a second time. Um, I think it was in February, 1956. 
and because at that time people were hearing what was going on down there that's when the media showed up that is not actually from the physical day she got arrested because you have to remember nobody knew who she was uh-huh. so they just you know arrested her so and she was one of many uh women who had been arrested uh-huh so at that, that point You know what? We just lost our audio. I don't know if you can still hear me. They were trying to. You know, I lost you for a I second. I can hear you. Can you hear okay. me? Yeah. Just when you said at the, at that point, and then I lost everything afterwards. Okay, sorry. So at that point, uh, there were other women who were arrested, uh, and they wanted to change the law. So there was an actual strategic plan. There mm-hmm. wasn't, we just woke up one day and let's do this boycott. They had been trying to have this boycott for a while. Yeah. So these women became plaintiffs in a case that went to the Supreme Court to prove that Jim Crow and segregation was unconstitutional. Yeah. So that was implemented before Auntie Rosa got arrested. So they, you know, submitted the paperwork. So, you know, when you have a court case that goes to the Supreme Court, it doesn't, it's not tomorrow or a week later. It took a while. Yeah. So they submitted the paperwork. And then amidst all that, Auntie Rosa gets arrested. <sighs> now... It's crazy because on purpose, she had been voiding that man's bus for 12 years. She had gotten to it with him before. Uh-huh. Um, and on purpose, she did not get on his bus for 12 years. It would just, she would just let it roll by and wouldn't get on. Yeah. So that particular day, she wasn't paying attention and she got on the bus and paid her fare. And she was like, oh man, this is that, you know, that guy that gave me a hard time. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm just tired from the day. I'm just going to go ahead and just, I'm ready to go home. Yeah. So when the bus filled up and actually the, the passenger that was supposed to get her seat, he insisted on, she didn't get up. It was the bus driver that insisted she get up. And mm-hmm. at that time, bus drivers could legally carry guns. Yeah. And so, um, the other three black passengers just stood up and Auntie Rosa thought of Emmett Till and said, no. Mm-hmm. And that was crazy to me because <laughs> she risked you her don't life. know what yeah. would have happened. Right. You don't know what would have happened. Totally. And so when she- people say, all she did was, you know, sit down. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, she risked her life. Sorry, I just lost you again. I'm not sure why this is going in and out. Um, are you back in? Can you hear me? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I just lost, I just, uh, I just lost you for a second, but we're we're back on now. Um, okay. I'm not sure I have full bars. I'm not moving. <laughs> yeah. I have full bars too. I'm not sure. But um, mm-hmm. so anyway, so she, I mean, she risked her life. Yes. And mm-hmm. a lot of people did at that time. And there was a lot of uh, people scared, which they had a right to be. There yeah. were people getting killed and, you know, even whites that were assisting to yeah. move it were getting killed and harassed. It was mm-hmm. a lot of people involved. And yeah. so when you think of what she did, it's kind of it's kind of mind blowing because uh, when I attended to the school last week, I went to Rose Park School yeah. in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And a kid actually asked me if I was born in 1955 and I was in that similar situation, would I have been able to do what she did? Yeah. And I honestly was like, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I mean, my aunt was very courageous to do what she did. And I know I'm outspoken. I've experienced some 
<clears throat> racism, some sexism, and have spoken out about it yeah. in whatever platform or experience that has been in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but for her to, to just be like, you know, no, mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And so Auntie Rosa, her role was very important at that time because, you know, when the incidents with the other women happened, the community did not really get angry enough to want to for real uh, do a boycott. They just right. like, oh, you know, well, maybe she should have got up. Maybe she shouldn't have, you know. Uh, that was some of the attitude, which, again, people were scared. Yeah. So Auntie Rosa and what she did, and when people heard about, oh, my God, they, they arrested Rosa Parks? Oh, my God, that's the lady that came and held my hand when I told the story about how my uncle got beat up by, you know, a gang of men. Right. Or she's the one that, you know, was trying to get me to register to vote. Right. Or she's the one who put my kid in a youth program so they'll stay out of trouble. Yeah. So everyone knew her. And because of that, it, it helped motivate people to be like, that's that's it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You guys are messing with Mrs. Park. She's one of the sweetest ladies ever. Oh, they, they arrested her? Okay, we need to quit playing around and get involved and do this boycott. Wow. So that's what had happened. And Auntie Rosa told me that story. We went over it several times of what had happened. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing to me because then the, right. the community rallied together. At first, the boycott was supposed to be one day and it ended up being very successful. Uh-huh. And so it ended up being longer than a year. And so by the time the boycott ended, that court case that was already filed had won wow. at the Supreme Court. And then they were able to prove that it was unconstitutional because at the end of the day, what they were trying to do was change the law. And people don't understand that. Jim Crow was the law then. It was the law. Mm-hmm. It, you can get killed or arrested for it. And there was, you know, there was no equal justice system for people of color no. at that time. No. So it, it was just like, well. <laughs> and, there's, and there still isn't in a way. I mean, Correct. <laughs> so that's why it's like I tell this story. I tell people a story about Emmett Till because Emmett Till's death was a very pivotal part of the civil rights movement because his mother was very courageous to have an open casket and see, see how, how hateful they were that they did that to him. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of hate, Yeah, you know, that they mm-hmm. did that to him. And how courageous was her mother mm-hmm. to do that? His mother, I mean, to do that. Yes. And so it was opening people's eyes because at that time, you know, People, uh, there weren't a lot of people with televisions, mm-hmm. you know, people listened to the radio mm-hmm. and over time people started to get TVs, but that was published in a national magazine. And so people saw it and were like, oh my God, what's going on in the South? So yeah. Over time, then people started getting television and they started taping what was going on because people in other parts of the country had no idea what was going on down there. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Right. So when that happened, I'm telling you a ripple effect. So what Rosa Parks did, it helped motivate the community to get involved. It made them be strong enough to do that. I don't think I could walk a mile every day. The fact that these people walked miles Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. There were white people who were getting harassed because they were carpooling people. Mm -hmm. There was people being harassed. It was amazing to me. The fact that people walked miles in the sun, in the rain, in the heat every day for over a year. Yeah. And I don't think I could walk a mile. Right. You know, Every day. Yeah. So, and then when that happened and people finally start seeing what was going on, it motivated people to, to get involved and start other ways to break down 
uh, Jim Crow and segregation. Mm-hmm. And it just kept rolling. And the civil rights movement began. Yeah. It, it created the sit-ins. It, it, it created the Freedom Riders. You got Diane Nash, a young girl. I mean, these people were young. Mm-hmm. Young girl who organized the whole Freedom Riders. So they shipping people on buses. Yeah. Black, white, whatever. And they really went through it. Yeah. I mean, hot coffee, hot food thrown on you. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it just created a movement. Mm-hmm. And similar things are still happening today. And it's like important for us to know that this happened so that when it repeats itself, we, we know what's going on. We won't be blindsided. But so let's talk about mm-hmm. that for a minute. You know, the fact that it is repeating itself. What is so what's your role with the Black Lives Matter movement right now? Well, I've always been someone who's been an advocate of it. I've always used my social media to talk about it, to have these discussions. Yeah. Um, I think at times it could be hard to have open discussions with people who might not be aware of it because there's some ignorance about the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to have these dialogues. Um, so talk, talk, I, like, so talk about the ignorance. Um, well, you know, I hear that, you know, people think it's a terrorist group or it's a, a racist organization or, it's, right. you know, uh, it's almost like the Black Panther movement. They think the same thing. They were terrorists. They were uh, creating worse scenarios when, right. in fact, uh, it's the opposite. They have these uh, programs that were uplifting the community and creating unity. Yeah. So the Black Lives Movement is important because there's so many unarmed black people and now it's affecting black women. Mm-hmm. It's it's been happening, but it's more frequent now. Yeah. And even how ironic today is Sandra Bland's birthday and her story is so disheartening. Um yeah. it's very disheartening. It's heartbreaking. Because um, I think like, you know, she's not that much off of age for me, and that could have happened to me. Right. You know, and it's just a random thing. And I can't believe that people hate people so much that they would just kill somebody for no reason and get away with it. Right. And so there is some holes in the justice system, Mm -hmm. but I feel that organizations like the Black Lives Matter needs to have these dialogues. They need to have these uh, protests. Uh, They need to have uh, conventions and conversations about what it really is about. And we're saying, you know, at the end of the day that, you know, black lives do matter because we're human beings. Yeah. And that's ironic because all the work that people like my aunt and others did, they mm-hmm. were voicing that same voice. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing to me that now we live in a day and age of social media uh-huh. where there's taping. And it's like, uh, okay, so those things were happening in the 50s and there was no videotape. Right. But now we have it on tape. And yeah. people still question yeah. if that was a racist act, which right. is crazy to me. Yeah. Totally. We got them on tape doing it. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a lot of work needs to be done. And I feel that in order to support something like the Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. it's important that we get out here and vote. Mm-hmm. People have to get out and vote. And who yeah. these people creating these laws and passing these laws in your community? Yeah. You know, this is your God-given right. I meet people all the time that just don't even vote. It's right. amazing to me. I know. But you can't complain about what's going on when you're not proactively voting. You can't just vote for president. You have to vote for local elections, too. Yeah. And these people are molding and making decisions on your community. Yeah. So I 
totally support the Black Lives Matter. Um, and have you have you met them? Support. Like, have you met have you met Alicia Garza or Patrice Cullors or or Opal tonight? I have not yet. But, okay. You know, uh, D Ray just uh, retweeted my story the other day, so I'm hoping that I could have a conversation with him soon. I just think that the work he's doing is so important. Uh huh. Um, and so it's kind of amazing now because, again, no one knows who I am. So right. now people are getting to know who I am a little They're bit. They're about to, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a lot of things in the works of what I'm trying to do. And um, I have been at it for a while. And I think it takes a while for people to know. Because even it's it's random things over the years or random people I've met where I have to say, oh, I'm Rose Parks' niece. And they just be like, okay, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay. A lot of times I have to pull out a picture and then they go, oh, my God, you're Rose Park's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, it's it's just it's a movement. It's a passionate yeah. thing. I feel um, to continue my aunt's legacy. And I totally feel yeah. that these are things that she was working on. Yeah. She was working on voters rights and rights for women right. and rights for black people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a voice for the youth. Yeah. And the elderly and the homeless. Auntie Rosa did so much. It was just, it's uh, so inspiring. And yeah. so one of the things I want people to understand about her is that they look at her as this icon, this famous person, right? Mm-hmm. Like she did these things. And Auntie Rosa, you know, never did anything to become famous, you know. It was Except just, it was for be her herself, lap. right? Right. She was yeah. generally herself. Yeah. And what I remind people is, is that at the end of the day, she was a human being. Mm-hmm. She had a family. That's number two. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is that Auntie Rosa was just an ordinary person who did mm-hmm. an extraordinary thing. Yeah. And so people think, well, I have to be this famous person. And I have to have all these things behind me. It doesn't take anything to help an elderly person. Yeah. It doesn't take anything to get involved in voters' rights. It doesn't yes. take anything to get involved in women's rights. Yeah. You could do anything you feel passionate about here. Right. These are little uh, little things that you can do that mm-hmm. will end up being a huge effect. And it will c- create a ripple effect, just like when you throw a pebble in the pond. Yes. So the small little things, they grow and grow, and it becomes this big ripple. Mm-hmm. And so if everyone just contributes something in their community... Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. Yeah. You know, you too can just do this. And mm-hmm. so that's what I want people to understand about her. She yeah. was just a a person who just decided that, you know, although people were saying, I don't see the point of it. Why are you a troublemaker? <laughs> Why are you want to stir up things? Auntie Rosa still questioned stuff and was like, mm, you know, that doesn't feel right. Doesn't sound right. I think this is wrong. Yeah. And so I want people to tap into that. And use that for whatever they're passionate out here mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if you had three things that you were going to tell young women today, since you know my audience is mostly eleven to twenty-one-year-old young women, what would those three things be? Um, three things. Uh, first would be to get an education. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. There is a lot of innovative women out here um, that they could maybe look up to mm-hmm. that have had maybe not the best start in life, but definitely have came out on top and it came from hard work. And a lot of that was uh, going to school and just applying themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing for young girls. Uh, young girls have always been told that we should just be you know, quiet and meek and whatever. And the same thing applied to my aunt. 
And I so I know Auntie Rosa was really big about education, especially mm-hmm. the education of girls. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, you know, kids in general, but especially girls. Um, yeah. Because girls have it a little harder. Yeah. And so I hope that young women are tapping into things like mathematics and science and coding, because those things are going to help pivot us forward as yeah. a society. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the second thing, uh, advice for young girls is don't ever self self doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, in life, you are going to encounter people who might not necessarily want to see you win, but if you're, your goal or whatever you're passionate about is telling you deep down inside that, you know, I want to be a doctor or I want to go live in India and find a cure for a disease, or I want to be the next astronaut. It doesn't matter what you want to do out here in life. Mm-hmm. Don't allow anyone to tell you that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that society puts this pressure on women that, you know, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough when in fact you are. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of innovative women over time that have really made a huge difference in their community. And mm-hmm. so I want girls to tap into that, whatever they're feeling they can do. If you decide that you want to become a poet, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, yeah. <laughs> just do it. You know, what's holding you back because yeah. you, you're going to wake up one day and your whole life is past you. And then all you can say is, you know, I've I always wanted to do that, but I never did it. Mm-hmm. So I say, why not go for it? Why right not? on. Mm-hmm. Why wait until you're 80 or 90 years old to do a bucket list? Like, start it now. Yeah. Start your bucket list now. You can do things at 11. Yeah, totally. You know? 12. <laughs> so do those things. And then I, the third thing I would say is just be kind to one another. Mm-hmm. I think we as girls and women, uh, are we're so hard on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of, um, I mean, when I witness a so-called sisterhood of women, it's a wonderful feeling to have that support, mm-hmm. to have that uh, understanding because mm-hmm. we're all women or all girls. And I think at times as, as women, we're taught at a young age that we have to be competitive with other women. Yeah, We have to talk down on other women. Mm-hmm. We have to belittle other women, um, mm-hmm. whether they're uh, a heavier set girl or they might have glasses i mean it's just you know it's like mean girls point 2.0 and we don't need to do that it's just the movie so i want to encourage them to have a sisterhood yeah of of learning to build those relationships with other women other girls yeah you know because when you become an adult it still it still goes on as 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 women Mm -hmm. and so it's important to have people around you who are going to encourage you and that believe in you as well as other encouragements of not putting each other down. I mean, that is like a big form of bullying and it's very, very popular now. I mean, it was happening when I was a kid, but it's just absolutely on another level now, the level of bullying and it's serious now. There's the social media and these kids are killing themselves and it just breaks my heart every time I read a story about a young girl who was harassed and bullied. Yeah. And some of it was coming from other girls. Yeah. So I don't know where this learned behavior is from, but, you know, I talk about this when I go to the school with kids that, you know, at the end of the day, bullying isn't cool. Yeah. I mean, we need to be different. Diversity makes the world go round. Diversity yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great way to understand and learn about different people, backgrounds and cultures. And you never know, you'll find a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. So if you just take the time to, step out of your box and, and talk to someone. So mm-hmm. yeah, 
I just want them to, you know, understand that it's okay uh, to be different and that the bullying thing, it just, we just really need to work on that and just not um, belittle each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ways that patriarchy keeps itself embedded is by sexualizing women and creating a culture of looks-based competition mm-hmm. for male attention. Oh, it's definitely... Um, it's in everything. It's in TV, it's in books, it's in uh, music. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's a way of us pinning up against each other. Yeah. It's definitely uh, more visual now. Um, yeah. Because when I was a kid, you just didn't see that. Right. You know, it's everywhere now. So it's it's subliminal messages being sent. And I don't think people realize that it's happening. Mm-hmm. So um I, on the one hand, when I was growing up, my mother limited how much TV we could watch. Yeah, mine too. And I, right, so like now, you talk to people and they're like, oh, I watch all these shows. I'm like, I don't have time to watch these many shows. Like yeah. I literally, there's a couple of shows I like and it takes me forever to catch up because I'm doing other things like I'm reading or right. you know, doing something else. So right. I just don't rely on TV that much. I mean, I like a lot of the movies, but... It's amazing to me um, how much television these kids watch. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. And so I want them to, you know, really understand that a lot of those things you see, they're just not real. They're not yeah. real. So, and you don't have to measure yourself up to this airbrushed girl on Instagram or Snapchat. So, right. And who's often, most often, in like popular media or Hollywood roles, she's most often white as well. Correct. So that that happens a lot, this uh, weird standardized beauty of what's beautiful. Right. Um, and so I know uh, people probably get annoyed when we say black girl magic because black women and black girls are the most disrespected race of women out here. Definitely. Um, Malcolm X said that a long time ago. Yeah. Malcolm X said that a long time. And I, I believe that. Yes. And so when these incidents happen, where these, these weird standardized uh views of beauty it never includes black women it's yeah. always odd it's very few and if it is it's always a a woman of fair skin or she has to be biracial or she has to be uh, her background has to be uh mixed cultures so it's never right. just admiring the beauty of women in general and particularly black women it's like we're at the bottom of the barrel right so i always have that conversations with people mm-hmm. and so i say it as much as i possibly can because we need extra encouragement yeah and to be honest i'm if my aunt was alive she would be very proud of a lot of the things that black women have accomplished in the last couple of years yeah women have been coming out we're the most educated race of women out here the most entrepreneurs and we're just doing it. So if I see someone, I might not know them. I could be in a store and they just look happy. And I'll just be like, oh, my God, you know, this lady is living her best life. And, you know, right. I'm going to tap into that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get out here and do my best. and live. You could just tell because it's an energy. It's an yeah. aura that's thrown off. Yeah. And so I want to project that image to other little black girls that you are black girl magic. You are yeah. accomplishing things with so many obstacles mm-hmm. and it just goes on and on and on. It's amazing to me, uh, the crazy things, uh, they're coming out in media about the treatment of, of black women from their hair to, I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff. Um, yeah. cultural misappropriation, yeah. to, you know, and then, you know, at the end of the day, black women saved Alabama. Let's just be clear. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> so 
black women do vote and we come out in droves when we need to. That's right. So it's, it's amazing to me that people don't recognize that they kind of like, Oh, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. It's a well, huge I mean, deal. These huge stories coming out. Like I had no idea that that stuff had happened with NASA until I heard about hidden figures coming out. Right. And so I started reading out. I mean, it's amazing to me, these yeah. stories. Yeah. So Especially in the last people. year. The last year right. we had fences and we had moonlight and we had hidden figures. And I mean, that, it, but I it's. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. I didn't even know that this lady Catherine existed. It was one of those. <laughs> it was like a wonderful little gym I found. Totally. It was like amazing. In your I'm favorite movie. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite movies. And yeah. constantly finding out these little hidden gems, these little treasures of this woman who did this innovative thing. Yeah. And what she did to endure it was a courageous. Oh, I know. It's awesome. It so is. Another person that children of all races can look up to and be like, you know what? I can, I can do math too, just like Catherine, you know, like she's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's, I, I hope to, this is why I'm telling my aunt's story. Mm -hmm. So they too can know about her and feel inspired. It's like when I read the story about her and all the women involved with that project for NASA, I was so inspired. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. That I sat down and explained it to my niece. She's actually turned nine today. Oh, happy birthday to her. Uh, Gabrielle is her name. Um, So she turned nine today. And uh, I explained these stories to her. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, do you understand what this woman did? And and so her parents are very good at uh, motivating her. Yeah. She's actually uh, very advanced for her age. So wonderful. Um, so anywho, so that's what I wanted to do is get out this encouragement, this inspiration, and that maybe if they understand these little side, uh, little known facts. I mean, you wouldn't have known them. You're not a family member, but just things that Auntie Rosa did in hopes that yeah. they will inspire them. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find really beautiful in here is... You know, like just hearing about her day-to-day stories of helping people, like that she just Mm -hmm. was a woman with a really gorgeous heart who gave herself to other people. And so it sounds like her activism was just a natural extension of the essence of who she was as as a human being. Right. I definitely feel like, you know, Auntie Rosa, she was just a kind person. And at times I used to tell my mother, like, ah, you know, I wish I was as graceful as Auntie Rosa, you know, I'm just not, you know, I have a little bit of my grandmother in me who's a little feisty. So, you know, I'm like, you know, my grandmother part too, you know, like, you know, but Auntie Rosa was so graceful and so loving. And, you know, I never heard her talk ill about anybody ever when I was around her. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she was doing that when I wasn't there, but she never talked ill about anyone. And that says a lot. Who does that? You know, like that's, that's amazing. Yeah, Um, it is. And I remember being, uh, spending time with her once in her kitchen. um, And, you know, she was asking me what I wanted to eat or whatever, and was making me a glass of lemonade. And I had caught all those uh, plastic bags you get from grocery stores. Uh She was collecting them. Yeah. And I was like, Auntie Rosa, you know, what's going on with all these plastic bags? You know, what are you keeping all these for? And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, you just never know. Somebody might need a sandwich or something. I usually put lunches in there and give them out. And that's when I knew that Auntie Rosa was feeding oh. the homeless. Oh my God. I didn't even know that she was feeding the homeless in Detroit. Wow. She would pass out lunches. She would make lunches. 
Wow. And I was like, this is who we're dealing with here. Our yeah. clothes would keep plastic bags in hopes of making lunches to pass them out to strangers. Yeah. That's who she was, you know, on top of what she did. But this was an extension of her life because Auntie Rosa didn't stop uh, protesting activism. I mean, she was protesting uh, apartheid. I have a picture of her holding up the sign in the 80s where she was out there with her, you know, her coat and her, you know, grandma type purse on. And she was out there, you know, like anybody's grandmother. Like she just definitely just, uh, you know, a comforting person. You know, you go see your grandmother and they hug you and offer you cookies. Like that was Auntie Rosa. Yeah. So she was out there with her coat on. Wow. <laughs> you know, with yeah. Her school lady purse. And was holding <laughs> sign up like in apartheid now. Like this is, Auntie Rosa was doing this in her 80s. Like, who are you? You know, and at that point, I was like 10 years old, you know. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Auntie Rosa had done tremendous amount of work and I hope that I could give some type of insight on that from the viewpoint of a family member. Yeah. So that people know who she really was out here. Yeah. She yeah. wasn't just a flaky person who was this quiet. She wasn't. She was the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. She was a heroic role model with a heart of gold. Yes, she was. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's amazing. So, t so tell me about the children's book that you're writing. So I decided to write a children's book because um, there were some things that happened with my interaction with Auntie Rosa when I was a child uh -huh. that I was telling the kids about it. You know, when I started uh, giving presentations at schools. Yeah. And then my one friend was like, you know, you should probably, you know, write a book about it. And I was thinking like, oh, I never thought about writing a book. Yeah. So it's just like an intricate, uh, uh, intimate stories of lessons in love. Um, these examples of ways that Auntie Rosa taught me how to help your fellow man. Oh, beautiful. Or help your fellow, you know, family member or stranger, how to be kind, how to, how to to show love, how to show uh, kindness, how to have humility, things like that. Those life lessons that a lot of people might not think are important now. How yeah. to have accountability, uh -huh. how to be honest, uh -huh. those type of things. How to love someone. Yes. And just spread kindness. And yes. so it's amazing to me when I think back on these experiences with her when I was a child and she showed me all of those things. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Um, when I was a child, or actually me and my brothers, uh, when we were kids, we got teased a lot mm -hmm. that we weren't related to Rosa Parks. Mm -hmm. And so one time she was in town visiting my family and she uh, had a, a public speaking engagement in Cleveland at the, the city club. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over breakfast, my mother just happened to mention her like, oh, you know, the kids are getting teased. They don't people don't believe that you're related. <laughs> so Auntie Rosa had a, a day full of appearances and she stopped what she was doing mm -hmm. and showed up at my school. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Like, you know, just to prove them wrong. It was crazy. Cause then after that, all the kids wanted to be our friends. And they wow. Like, oh, wow. You really are related to Rose Parks. I'm like, yes. Rose Parks. So we were in the school paper and Rosa wrote, you know, some inspirational word and gave it to all the students. And it's like, to this day, when I run into people I went to school with, they will, they will say, I still am impacted from that day your aunt came to school. I tell people all the time. I tell my kids. I tell, you know, uh, I ran to a guy that's a professor now. He told me he tells that in his courses now. I met Rosa Parks once. And he said, it's funny because now I know what you experienced. 
Right. Now they believe me. I don't believe they, they believe that it didn't happen to me either. So yeah. So I mean, that's who Rosa Parks was. Yeah. I mean, honestly, she didn't have to do that. Right. She could have just sent a note or done nothing. Yeah. But Auntie Rosa stopped what she's doing and just showed up at my school. It was crazy. Yeah. Like they literally called me over, you know, this, the uh, announcement box. Like, oh, you know, come to the principal's office. And we're all like, wait, what's going on? Like, and I never, Auntie Rosa was standing there. We're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, like it was crazy. I love and I it. I think literally Auntie Rosa didn't call the school ahead. I think she just showed up. I don't. Even, I think she just walked in the door like, oh, hey. Yeah. I'm here to see my niece and my nephew. Yeah. And I'm Rosa Parks. Yeah. You know, oh my God, who's your niece and nephew? You're Rainer Lonnie McCauley. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm what sure people are like, wait a minute, that's Rosa Parks. Stop what you're doing. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, it was absolutely crazy. They had an emergency assembly. They put us all, it was this crazy. They're like, oh, Rosa Parks is here. And everybody was like, wow. Like, you know, it was, it was absolutely wonderful and like yeah. that was the type of person Auntie Rosa was she did that a lot for my family just randomly did some some very thoughtful gestures yeah. you know because mm-hmm. she loved her family so yes yes yeah beautiful um and coming back to your book do you have a publisher for it yet well I have a couple of people who've reached out um okay. I have a couple of ideas I don't have a publisher yet yeah. um, but my goal is to uh, you know, finally finish it in the next couple of months. I've been working on this book for a couple of years and I've wow. had some things where it interfered, uh, me finishing the project, but I have really focused on it now. Yeah. Now that, um, the demand of it, cause people are like, well, what's going on with the book? And I'm like, Oh my God, I got to quit playing around and do this book. Like, yeah. so it's not going to be very long, but I have my brother doing the illustrations. My mm-hmm. brother's, uh, also a really good artist mm-hmm. and I'm just going to showcase experiences between me and my siblings. Yes. So little boys and little girls yeah. feel some type of, um, way to incorporate these characteristics. In yeah. You. Yeah. How to how to be humble, how to have love, how to be honest, how to do the right thing. These type of things. I mean, Auntie Rosa, at the time, I didn't know that's what it was until I figured it out later as an adult and showing me things to her actions with others. Yeah. It just kind of, you know, as a kid, you don't realize that. But right. as an adult, I realized that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So inspiring. Um, have you heard of Feminist Press? I have not heard of Feminist Press. Because um, I have a, a African-American colleague, Jamia Wilson, is the executive director there. And I think they'd be really interested in your book. And I'd love to introduce you to them. Oh, wow. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that for sure. Um, she, awesome. they just, she just published a book called Young, Gifted, and Black. It just got reviewed in the New York Times. Have you heard of that? I have not. Mm. So I have a lot of work to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm being pulled so many different ways now. Like I'm getting major outlets and I, I feel really honored that you um, contacted me because I was like, how great is this? I was telling my cousin, I said, oh my gosh, this lady has this organization and it's in Canada, girl. I have to talk to her. It's awesome. I went on your website. I was like, it's absolutely awesome. I have to talk to her, you know? I have to talk to her because I'm a firm believer in, you know, uplifting girls. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't mean to be too my own horn, but I buy things that are inspirational for my niece, things that say girl power, girls that are smart, you know, like a lot of, like, it just, it's amazing to me, um, doing the opposite of these crazy subliminal messages that we, as girls and women 
see. Yeah. And so proactively making sure that my niece experiences the positive aspect of those images. Yeah. And it's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Even talking to girls. Um, yeah. I spent a little bit more time. I mean, all, all the kids when I go in school, but just, you know, this last school, I mean, I was just really focusing on telling them how smart they are. Yeah. How important they are. Yeah. How beautiful they are and mm-hmm. that they could be anything out here. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You see kids of all backgrounds. Yeah. And, you know, focusing on the brown and black kids, but there's, you know, there's other kids that, that want it or they're not getting that information. So somehow along the way, maybe their parents work too much. Maybe the educators are overworked, which is true. Educators, I, God bless them. I, I really applaud them for what they do. Yeah. And a lot of times dealing with them, uh, the kids just think of them as like another annoying adult figure. Yeah. So when you bring in someone like me, who is a blood relative, yeah, they, they really get inspired. So it's mm-hmm. funny, me just hugging them, how I, I feel like I'm influencing them by giving them a hug. You are. Telling them, yeah. telling them, you are important out here. Right. You are smart. Right. Talk about, you know, don't bully. And, you know, this is what life was. But, you know, we can learn from these mistakes and move forward. Like, you know, we don't have to keep behaving like this because no one has time for hate, you know. Yeah. And we don't have time to be bullying people out here because you have to hit these books. Yeah. So it was amazing to me, you know, I don't know where it came from. I don't, I don't know if it was just the fact I was so overwhelmed and I was so happy to be there and I was so inspired. These kids were awesome. And it happens every time I go to school. Um, it just was amazing. I just started telling them like, repeat after me, I'm smart. And they were like screaming it. I'm oh. smart. You know, I am courageous. They were like, I'm correct. I mean, they were screaming it. And I was yeah. like, anything out here, just like Rose Parks. And I swear to God, they were screaming. It was, it was oh. absolutely, I, I cried. Yeah. <laughs> I cried. I'm getting I tears. In my, I'm getting tears in my eyes just listening to you. I literally told the principal, I need 20 minutes. I literally went to the bathroom and cried. I was like, oh my God, where did that come from? I, it was totally unscripted. Off the top, I was so inspired to tell them that. And I was like, God, I should have been saying this a long time ago. I, yeah. I do tell them to be inspired, but I don't know. This The, the impact of that was amazing uh, to me. You need to These be in kids. every school. Yes. And that's my goal is to eventually, uh, one of the things I want to do is visit all the Rosa Parks schools. There's mm. tons of them around. Oh, the yeah. So that's one of my things I want to do. Yeah. Is go to all the schools. So incredible. Mm. So incredible. I love your vision. I want to ask you to speak a little bit more about race in the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. Um, just what you're seeing and how you're feeling and um, what we need to do. Well, I, I definitely feel like it's, it's difficult Um, Mm -hmm. and and it's almost disheartening because I cannot believe that what we've gone through in this country and we still are dealing with very ignorant, very racist behavior. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you're someone who doesn't know, right? If you're someone who it doesn't affect you personally, yeah. I guess you really wouldn't care about it. So there's so much history, especially with blacks in this country, where people just want to belittle it. And I guess it's not a big deal. It's 400 years ago. But there's scientific fact that those behaviors of what happened to black people during surgery, it's ingrained in our DNA. Yeah. 
And so it's part of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Totally. It's a, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we should be having these dialogues, but you know, after a while it gets tiresome when you're dealing with somebody who might not be open yeah. to having that conversation. Right. Um, you know, just like if you were dealing with someone that was dealing, that was saying something sexist, they don't want to hear it. So yeah. imagine being a woman and black. I got double negative. I, I'm dealing with racism and sexism. Totally. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when you're having these conversations with people, it's like, you know, it gets tiresome um, yeah. because they're not even open to the idea of listen to what I'm trying to say. And I think a lot of people of color, particularly black people, need a real acknowledgement of what happened. Yeah. It, it, listen, it happened. It's, and, you know, when you have Black History Month, I've been telling people it's Black History Month, but Black history is American history. It's part of American history. Yeah. But it could get a little frustrating when people try to, you know, like erase what happened or belittle right. the history of the violence and everything that's happened towards Black people in this country. So what it does is makes people more angry. Uh-huh. Or you, we feel like you just don't care. Mm-hmm. So when we're telling you... Um, that black lives matter and you come back with all lives matter, right. black people should be included in that. Correct. I mean, you don't, you, you're, you're not even right. making sense. You're yeah. kind of contradicting what you're saying, mm-hmm. but it isn't a way to separate us. It's to bring awareness that there are some unjust things happening to black people in this country. Yeah. So I feel that we have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that black people have accomplished a lot and have contributed a lot to this country and at the end of the day, we just want acknowledgement mm-hmm. and we want people to be more open to understanding what our struggle is. And it's not just to be saying it, just to be saying it. Yeah. I mean, these experiences are what we're having. Yeah. I mean, it, it, things happen to me all the time. And even though I'm fair skinned, I still get followed in the store. It happens all the time. Mm. Still. Mm. It's crazy to me because I'm like, why are you following me for? I'm not <laughs> I, uh, like, come on. It's like, really? Right. Uh, so, what do you what do you do when that happens? Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty vocal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little out to rose, I guess. I mean, I, <laughs> can I help them? Yeah, you know, I ask them, can I help you, or yeah. is there something wrong because you've been following me the whole time and they yeah. usually back off. Yeah. But uh, I remember um, a situation that happened to me when I was a little girl, and I was at this mall with my mother. Mm-hmm. And excuse me, um, we were in this mall and. Back in the day, they used to do these surveys. They had consumers fill out surveys, and mm-hmm. they would give you a couple couple of dollars. And so I was at this mall with my mom, and uh, I asked her, could I fill the survey out? My mother said, go ahead. I don't even know what it was for, cereal or something simple like that. You just ask a couple questions, they give you like $5. Yeah. So when I went to the lady to do the survey, she told me, well, we're not surveying the blacks at this mall. You need to go to the other mall. Other mall, Yes. And this is like Cleveland, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. And there was a particular mall. It wasn't necessarily all black, but it was in a particularly more prominent black suburb. Yeah. So she was telling me to go to the other mall. And I was thinking like, but we're already here. Like that made no sense to me. So yeah. I went back and told my mother what she had said. And my mother went all the way left, was like, who do you think you are? Where's your manager? So we went to the manager's office yeah. and literally I remember my mother tugging my arm, like, come on. Yeah. She kept saying, they have no idea who they're messing with. We're yeah. Rose Park's family. Yeah. We're not going to sit here and have you say that that doesn't even make any sense. What does race have to do with if you're going to fill the survey or not? 
So yeah. my mother went in the office and raised hell about that, and they Good. apologized. Good. But it was absolutely crazy. And that yeah. was probably one of my first experiences as a small child about racism. I mean, that yeah. was pretty... Cause it made no sense to me why she would not want to interview me. Yeah. Uh, based on, it was, it, it wasn't a survey that had to do anything with race. It had nothing to do with race. She right. just felt she could say that to me. Yeah. Which is odd. Yeah. But just overt racism. Ha- right. Happen all the time. Yeah. So I feel that, um, you know, when injustices happen, we need to be very vocal about it and mm-hmm. say at the end of the day, it, it is. And so people might get offended yeah. But it's because you might not feel it affects you. So mm-hmm. why would you care? Right. You know, my friends with children are scared, especially little black boys that yeah. they're going to come home and their kid's going to be killed. Yeah. This is real. It is. Little black boys, little black girls getting killed for no reason. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me, just even the stereotype of the treatment of people that they think children are grown adults. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Tamar Rice thing, he was 12. He wasn't yeah. an adult. He was a little boy. Yeah. The fact that they thought he was an adult at 12. Yeah. That's how deep racism runs. Right. That's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Very disheartening. So every time I hear these stories about people just being wrongfully killed, it is very disheartening. Yeah. It's very hurtful. And at times for my own sanity, sometimes I have to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all on video and sometimes I can't watch the video. Yeah. It's too many of them now. Right. Over and over. But I feel in order for us to effectively heal, the first step is we have to acknowledge that these things are going on. Yeah. And when people understand this and when people recognize their privilege, mm-hmm. uh, particularly white privilege mm-hmm. and particularly male privilege, mm-hmm. then some things will probably will change. Yeah. Because I don't even think men are aware of things that women go through sometimes no. too. Same. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing. This is a dealer race. So it's like people aren't aware of their privilege. Yeah. So they just think like, Oh, you just don't have, you just, you just talking to be talking. No, this mm-hmm. is really what happened. This mm-hmm. is my experience. Yeah. So we have to be more open to stop belittling people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that we need more white people to become vocal in this fight. Just like, you know, in terms of the feminist fight, we need men to stand by our side, you know, with the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement and have those conversations with other men. We need white people to have these conversations with other white people. Yeah. And I think, um, people need to self-educate themselves. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times they might not understand as a white person in America in this day and age that you, you have already major privilege on mm-hmm. top of me. Yeah. Um, and so when you recognize that, and I do have some so-called white friends who are very aware of their mm-hmm. privilege. And sometimes when you have these discussions about race, it might be on Facebook or otherwise. Um, one of them will come in and, you know, they won't listen to what I say, but mm-hmm. they'll listen to them because they're white. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing to me because yeah. the only difference between you and them, me and them is the color of my skin. Right. It's no different. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's, he's repeating the same thing I said. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me how someone will listen to someone else mm-hmm. based off their race. So um, definitely, I think that you have to do the work, too. You can't just be like, well, 
you know, you're looking for a black person to educate you on, on the history of racism in this America, in this country, in America. Right. You know, a lot of my friends who are very aware of what's going on and using their privilege have done done the work. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, studied stuff. They've got involved. They've mm-hmm. read up on stuff. Yeah. And changed behavior. You can't just, you know, sometimes I think people don't even understand what they're doing when they're doing it. I think they're so oblivious of it. It's kind of mm-hmm. like they're just walking down the street with blinders on. Right. But it's also speaking up too. You know, if you see a Muslim person or elderly person or a black person being harassed, are you going to be strong enough to speak up and say, mm-hmm. don't stop doing that? Stop harassing yeah. them? Yeah. Like, a lot of people are too busy taping it. Right. That's what they're doing now. You're taping it instead of, Oh my God, let me assist you or let me call the police. You know, it's amazing to me. That's the day and age that we're in now. Right. So I definitely believe that too, that more white people need to speak up and understand that this stuff is real. It's Mm -hmm. not an excuse or we don't have anything else better to do. Right. This is real stuff happening. Yeah. And people's lives are on the line every day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. So do you think you got enough information? <laughs> yeah, we did talk a long time. I know usually my interviews are half an hour, but I was like, nope, I'm just going to let this one roll because <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> so yeah, just huge thank you to you for giving your time to me. And I'm really excited for the young no problem to hear your voice and your message. And I'm so excited for your voice to be amplified and to just to hear what is, what is going to be coming down the tubes for you since this um, post going viral on Twitter. Yes. um, I was surprised Mm -hmm. how many people really reposted it. Mm -hmm. I was pretty surprised. I thought, I mean, I knew it was, you know, kind of a big deal because I mean, it's Shonda Rhimes. I mean, but you know, her website has always the best articles and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I didn't expect it to really like literally the next day I woke up and I was like, Oh my God, what do you mean? Shonda retweeted it. It was amazing. <laughs> like amazing. Yeah. And then it was funny because people thought she was the niece and she had to correct them. And then she named my name. No, I'm no, the niece is Uranium McCall. <laughs> oh my God. Shonda called me, you know, I love your stuff. All your shows are awesome. <laughs> totally. So it's it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that she liked what I said because you know we're here. Our her family's here. We just a lot of times, you know, we're just in the background. And we've been um, doing things in our community, but we've always been here. Yeah, been here. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, may your voices continue to to lead the way for all of us. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mm-hmm. really enjoyed talking to you. Um, yeah, you it's too. gonna be on your website or Yeah, I'm gonna be um I'll be editing it this weekend and releasing it. I should be able to release it by sun for Sunday morning. So I'll send it to you once it's once it's out and you can share it as well and we'll Yay. just uh get it out there for, for Black History Month in particular. All right. I'm yeah. glad we got to talk. We'll stay me in touch too. and um Make sure to send me your friend's information yeah. about the organization. Yeah. That's awesome. The Feminist Press. Yeah, I'm going to introduce you. Press. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Hey, okay, Urena. All right. I'm, I enjoy talking to you. Okay. Thanks so much for the interview. All right. You too. Okay. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Bree Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. 